Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. So we're continuing, as Liam said, um, our series on worship, and there'll be a slide that'll come up that'll just take us something on the journey of the last three weeks. But we've entitled this series, The Worshipping Body. And as you'll see behind me, we've looked at the nature of worship, we've looked at the purpose of worship, We've looked at the results of worship, and now this morning we want to look at the practice of worship. In other words, the how of worship. And uh, just again a reminder that we are not discussing a lifestyle of worship. In other words, what you do in life that brings honor and glory to God, but rather we're going to be speaking into the act of worship, that what we do or that which we do when we gather together as God's people, as we're doing this morning. But again, of course, that if it's, let me just say this, that if a lifestyle of worship, if we're not enjoying, if we're not part of or, or, or I'm living a lifestyle of, of worship, the chances are we're not going to be involved in the act of worship that happens here in the morning. All right, put it another way. If it's not happening out there, it's not going to happen in here, eh? And so, yes, worship is a lifestyle. We need to be worshiping God 24-7. But the worship we're talking about is what happens when we come together here, particularly on a Sunday morning. All right. So, quick Greek lesson. You in for some Greek? All right. Excuse my pronunciations, but in the New Testament, there are two Greek words for our English word, worship. And the one Greek word is the word proskunia, which is mentioned 60 times in the New Testament, which means to adore or to give reverence to. And so it refers in many ways to the condition of our heart when we worship God. And it's the word Jesus used when he spoke to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, when he spoke about how the true worshipers must worship, must worship, must proskuneo in spirit and in truth. And then the second Greek word is the word latriontis, which is used 26 times, either as a noun or a verb, which means service. And it's what refers as well to our gathered worship, that Greek word. It's a word that Paul used in Philippians 3, 3, when he says, we who worship, we who serve, we who latriontis by the Spirit of God. And again in Romans 12 verse 1, where we're told to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship, of service, of latriontis. Okay, so quick, just a quick lesson because those two words are key in terms of what we're going to talk about this morning. So my question is then, if we're looking at the how of worship, then I guess the best question to ask is, well then how? How do we worship God? Now, the reality is that none of us is truly qualified to answer that question hey, of what, what it is to worship God. And I say that because the reality is we'll never truly worship God as he wants to be worshipped while we're here on earth. That's only going to happen in heaven. It's only there that we'll see the fullness of what worship can be and should be, is when we're standing with the multitudes of angels and others, worshiping and proclaiming the wonder of our God. But in the meantime, the good news is we do have the pattern of Scripture. We do have church history to look back on, 
And, of course, we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? To help us, to teach us, to guide us when it comes to worship and our corporate worship. And worship that pleases God, eh? Because that's key. Because surely that should be the goal every time we come together. eh? That God would be pleased by our offering of our worship to him. That our worship would be a sweet aroma to him, a sweet sound to him. Just like the song, I love you, Lord, goes. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. It's great when it's a sweet sound in the person next to you's ear or the one in front of you. But actually, it's about God's ear that's most important. It's what God thinks of our worship that ultimately matters most, eh? And that's why it's important for us to know how he wants to be worshipped and not how we want to worship him. Worship is not subjective. eh? God has a way he wants us to worship him. And over these four weeks, I'm hoping we're getting some handles on what that looks like and how we can do that. Okay. So, our key passage of scripture this morning is just two verses. And it's it's in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 28 and 29, and it will come up behind me. And it says, therefore, and again, if you want to know what the therefore is there for, you just got to go back a few verses. But just for the sake of time, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let me just pause and remind you that this kingdom, this kingdom of God is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. No matter what shakings may be happening around you in this world, in your life, this kingdom cannot be shaken. As a result of that, the writer says, let us be thankful and so worship God. Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so how do we worship God acceptably? In other words, with the right attitude, our heart, as well as in the right way in terms of our actions, those two Greek words. And that's what we want to try and answer this morning. All right. And so from that verse, I've got six things that come through this. And the first one is that we do it thankfully. It's what we read here. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And corporate worship is a great opportunity for us to express our thanks to God and to, do, and to do it joyfully, excitedly, enthusiastically. Because the truth is, can I say, it is hard to be thankful without being joyful. Eh? You try that. When we are thankful is generally because we are joyful for what has happened, for what God has done. And so can I say we should be the most joyfully thankful people. We should be those who are able and willing to give thanks in all circumstances. But the truth is we're not always intentional about it. eh? We're not always deliberate in giving our thanks to God. But actually it's good to to remember that thankfulness is the starting point in offering our worship to God. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And that's why we need to come into his presence with hearts full of thanks, full of thanks. But then we need to express it. We need to give our thanks to him. 
It's one thing knowing we are thankful. It's one thing appreciating the things that God has done and holding it within. But there's another thing when we actually express it and we communicate it to God of just how thankful and grateful we are. And so when we don't enter his gates, when we don't enter his presence with thanksgiving, can I say it is very hard to worship God acceptably as he wants us to. Very hard. So how do we practically outwork that? Our second Greek word. How do we action it? Well, I believe we need to start our worship service on that note. And that note is that our call to worship and our opening song or songs need to reflect our joyful thanks and the excitement we have in our hearts of being in God's presence. We need to express that. Psalm 100 verse 2 tells us that. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Why? Well, it's because God wants our worship to be a celebration. He wants it to be a time of absolute joy and delight. Not something that is is labored or something that is heavy. No. And you know, the way we start our worship will ultimately determine how we end it, eh? In Psalm 42, verse 4, the writer, the the psalmist, is one he's remembering about leading the procession of God's people to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Friends, that should set the tone for our worship service. That it is a festival. It's not a funeral. (laughs) And so let's start our worship with an atmosphere of joy and with songs that are upbeat, songs that are full of life, that help us to express our thanks and our appreciation to God. Number one, how do we worship God? We do it thankfully. Secondly, we do it reverently, because that's what it says here. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And here's why, for our God is a consuming fire. It's what God said to Moses. Take your sandals off for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And friends, can I say to you this morning, we can never forget who it is we are approaching in worship. He is not our mate. He is the blessed and only ruler. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and glory forever and ever. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. Which means then we don't enter in flippantly. We don't enter in nonchalantly, casually or even sloppily. No, there needs to be a soberness and a seriousness and a weightiness to our worship. Notice I said weightiness, not heaviness. And yes, of course, we come as sons and daughters of the Most High. We come as those who are in personal relationship with our God. But equally can I say we also come reverently to the one who is our Father in heaven. And the result being as we hallow, we revere his name because he is so worthy. He is so awesome. He is so honored. 
in every way. And so how has that practically worked out? Well, I think it starts by preparing our hearts long before we get here on a Sunday morning. Eh? Knowing who it is that we are meeting with and who it is we're going to be engaging with. In Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, David says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Which is what we do when we enter into corporate worship. Eh? Who may stand in his holy place? And now he answers his own question. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And yes, the good news is Jesus gives us access into God's presence. If it was not for Jesus, you and I would never be able to enter into his very presence. But friends, that doesn't take away our responsibility to be holy. Our responsibility to live holy and righteous lives before our great God. In James chapter 4 and verse 8, the invitation is for us to draw near to God and worship, knowing that as we do, he draws near to us. But then notice immediately what, what James says after that. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. That's our responsibility, to enter in with clean hands and with pure hearts. And so my point is this, that we need to prepare our hearts for worship, remembering that God is a consuming fire who will not be mocked because of our irreverence or because of our lack of awe. We do it thankfully and we do it reverently. Thirdly, Following closely onto that, we do it respectfully. We do it humbly. We do it fearfully. We do it as those with an understanding of what it means to stand in awe of God. What it means to fear the Lord in a healthy and respectful way. That's, what, that's the attitude. That's the proskinio that God is looking for. In Psalm 22, verse 23, David says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And you know what? It's our awe and it's our fear of God that allows us to truly praise him. Amen. Truly praise him. And that means if we're going to worship God respect, respectfully, if we're going to worship him with awe, then can I say the setting and the atmosphere of our worship is important. You know, Jesus drove the money changers from the temple because his house was to be a place of worship and not a place of chaos. One of the reasons that Jesus said we should go into our rooms and pray in Luke chapter 6 verse 6 is so that we wouldn't be distracted by those around us. Well, can I say the same principle applies in our corporate worship? And that is for us to do our best to keep distractions to a minimum so that we and others can focus and concentrate on him who is so worthy of our attention and of our worship. Now please, take a deep breath with me. And I want to say, don't hear what I'm not saying. All right? We are a community of believers of all ages and of all dispositions. 
Let me say we love the family dynamic of our corporate worship. But in saying that, can I also say let's be sensitive to those things that can distract others from worshiping God in reverence and awe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul spends nearly half a chapter speaking around the fact that worship should be done in an orderly way. For God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace. Verse 33. Now I know that our facilities are lacking in functional spaces to accommodate babies, small children, and the like. Now the good news is that's going to change in time, eh? when we have our own auditorium. But can I encourage you, as a father who has brought up children in church services, and that is to help them to be aware that corporate worship is a time where we come respectfully into God's presence, where we're able to focus our attention on him who is so worthy of our service and of our devotion. This truly is the best place to bring children up. It's the best place to teach them the value and the importance of communal worship. So please hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. We want you here. We want you here with your kids. But I'm also saying please be aware that we want to worship God in a way that honors him and pleases him. Please be here. But if you do need to just slip out with your child, rather do that because we're here to honor God. Are you okay with that? Is that all right? This was the part I was hoping that people would hear my heart in it. I would do nothing different in what we've done in 30 years of leading, leading churches. We'd have our two toddler kids, babies in the front with us on a blanket, morning and evening service. Because I wanted them to grow up into, in an environment where corporate worship was the highlight of our lives. Coming together as God's people. I would never change anything. And I hope you won't ever change anything. This is the best place to bring children up in the ways and the knowledge of this awesome God we serve. Eh? All right. So we do it thankfully. We do it reverently. We do it respectfully. And then fourthly, we do it meaningfully. And by meaningfully, I'm saying authentically. You know, when Jesus said you must worship in spirit, he wasn't referring to the Holy Spirit, but rather to your spirit. Because worship is your spirit communing with God's spirit. Eh? Which means then that our worship has to be authentic. Our worship has to be heartfelt. That we're not a people or a person worshiping with our lips, but our hearts are a million miles away. That's not authentic. That's not meaningful. In fact, heartless worship, can I say, is worthless worship. In that it means nothing to God. Nothing whatsoever. Remember when Samuel went to anoint the, the next, or the first king of Israel, what did, um, or the next king of Israel after Saul, what did God say to Samuel? Man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when it comes to worship, you and I cannot fool God. Eh? We cannot fool God. Doesn't matter what we may do externally, God always looks at the heart. Eh? 
He wants to know that this is real. This is authentic. This is genuine. And that's why to worship meaningfully, to worship from the heart, requires not just engaging the heart, but engaging our emotions. Because here's the thing, God gave us emotions so that we could worship him deeply, with deep feeling. Not just externally, as good and awesome and biblical as that is, but there would be a genuineness of deep emotion coming through. And yes, the truth is our worship may not be perfect, but one thing it cannot be is insincere. We may not get everything right, and only one day in heaven, as I started by saying, we'll see what worship can and should potentially be like. But one thing I know, it cannot be, and that is insincere, inauthentic. eh? Well, how has that practically worked out? Well, can I say the spiritual state that you arrive in has the potential to either enhance or hinder our corporate worship? Why do I say that? Well, here's an example in Ephesians 4. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And in verse 3, he says, make every effort. He's saying this to the believers. Yes, generally, but also when you come together, as we've done this morning. He's saying, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And the truth is things like disunity. Discord, relational issues, offense, whatever else it may be, has the potential to severely affect our corporate worship and how we engage with God. And so to worship God in spirit means we need to be on good terms with the Holy Spirit. Agreed. A bit further on in that chapter, in verse 30. Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve God's Spirit? Well, one of the ways is by being on bad terms with those around us. Because the very next verse, verse 31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. What is he saying here? Well, if we're going to worship in spirit, if we're going to worship meaningfully and authentically, well, then we need to stay on good terms with God's ungrieved Holy Spirit which necessitates us being on good terms with our neighbor. Otherwise, can I say there will be more flesh in our worship than there will be spirit. And if there is one thing that turns God off is when we do things in the flesh. It's got to be meaningful. Following that, number five. Not only do we do it Thankfully, reverently, respectfully, and meaningfully, but we need to do it thoughtfully. In other words, accurately. Because that's what Jesus says. Not only must we worship in spirit, but we've also got to worship in truth. Which means then we've got to worship God as he is truly revealed in scripture. Not how we perceive him to be. If we are worshiping the God of our making, of our perception, you know what the Bible calls that? idolatry our worship 
yes, has to be emotional, but can I say it cannot only be emotional. It's also got to be doctrinal. We've got to worship God with our heads as much as we worship him with our hearts. eh? And so if our worship is mindless, it's meaningless. If there's no thought in what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're singing, you know what? It counts for nothing. And that's why we've got to engage our minds as much as we engage our hearts in our worship. In fact, Jesus called thoughtless worship vain repetitions. Worship that ultimately puts God to sleep. Not that God could, can ever sleep or slumber, eh? according to the Psalms. But you know what I mean. And yes, it's very easy to recite cliches in worship. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, what about us looking for fresh ways, fresh words, other terms to honor and worship God? Well, you know what? Thoughtful worship demands that of us. That we're not just going through the motions. We're not just doing what we've always done. But there's thought as much as there's heart in our worship. Amen. And then lastly, number six, we do it sacrificially. In that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God in worship, which tells me then that there is a cost to worship. eh? There is a cost. In fact, David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God an offering that costs me nothing. If worship doesn't cost, it doesn't count. Amber, there's a hashtag for the midweek. Eh? If it doesn't cost, it doesn't count. In Hebrews thirteen fifteen, it says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And so praise, just like worship, costs. It costs in time, in energy, in effort, in commitment, in concentration, in consecration, in self-denial, in self-sacrifice. And so the list could go on and on and on. The truth is you could have stayed in bed this morning, particularly on this cold morning. Or maybe it is you could have been at the beach or gone to the gym or gone to a sports event. But here's the thing, you being here potentially cost you something. And you know what? God sees it and God appreciates it. He honors it. And that's why worshiping God isn't always comfortable. It isn't always convenient. Sometimes we do it out of a a sheer act of will. (laughs) Not because we feel like it. Not because it's been a good week or a bad week or whatever else kind of week it is. No, we do it. It's a commitment. You might have had the biggest plenary, I like to call it, not a fight, on the way with your spouse coming here this morning. That has the potential to affect your worship. But if you understand worship is a sacrifice, you lay that aside, hopefully deal with it. If you haven't already dealt with it, better to deal with it before you get out the car because it can affect not just you but everyone else. You know what the Bible says? A root of bitterness has the potential to defile many, eh? not just you. But you deal with those things. But even if you're still working it through, you come in and you say, because I understand that my worship, there's a cost to it. I'm going to do it in spite of how I feel, in spite of what's going on in my life, no matter how bad my week's been. It's my commitment 
to honor God in my worship. And that's why there is no such thing as passive worship. It cannot be passive if there's a price, if there's a cost to it, if there's a sacrifice involved. But of course, of course God wants it to be a willing sacrifice, eh? not a begrudging one. Not one where we're dragging our feet doing it because Mark said I must worship even though I don't want to and feel like it. No, he wants a willing sacrifice. But that sacrifice isn't dependent on you or your feelings. It's dependent on who he is we're worshiping. You know, there's an amazing story in Mark 14, and I am bringing this into land. Mark chapter 14, where Jesus is anointed at Bethany with what one's got to say is the world's most expensive perfume. Tells us it was pure nod. And this, let me tell you, was an extravagant act of worship. Eh? But then what happens is some criticize the act as too costly. But what did Jesus say into that or about that? He said to those who were criticizing her, he said, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Which tells me that Jesus values our sacrifice. When it comes to worship. And the greater the crock, the cost, the greater the value. So how's that practically outworked? Well, for you it might mean waking up early on a Sunday morning. So that you can be prayed up, prepared, and ready to contribute in the meeting. Because that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 26 says. When you come together... Everyone has something to bring for the strengthening of the church. Maybe for others it might be getting the kids ready earlier so that you're here on time. There's a sacrifice in that. It might mean coming early so that you can be part of our pre-service prayer meeting. So you pick up the heart of what God's wanting to do here. Maybe it's being prepared to step out of your comfort zones. Being willing to be stretched When it comes to using of spiritual gifts or ministering to people or even in fellowship. Isn't it true we all like to make a beeline for those we know or are comfortable to have a yarn with. But maybe part of the sacrifice is actually saying, actually let me look for those who look a little out of place. Who look a little lost. Haven't seen them before. And go and engage with them. Fellowship. There's someone in our midst here, and I'm not going to point him out, who I've heard, he didn't tell me this, but I've heard via someone else, that every Sunday morning when he arrives here, his intention is to find someone he's never met before and engage meaningfully with them. I want to say what an incredible example of understanding our worship costs and our fellowship is part of our worship to God. Maybe it's for you, it's not being too concerned about the time that we gather here. Because let me just say that genuine and heartfelt worship requires time. Or maybe not being too self-conscious in worship. Concerned about what others might think if I raise my hands. Or if I sing exuberantly. Or if I clap. Or if I kneel before the Lord. Friends, that's part of the sacrifice. Don't hold back. Maybe for others it's, it's not being self-centered because the truth is you cannot exalt God and yourself at the same time. 
The reality is you, we have to be deliberate in, in shifting the focus off ourselves and onto God. Saying, actually, I want to be a contributor and not a consumer. There's a price to pay there. Or maybe it is not allowing the challenges and the concerns and just the worries of life to distract you in worship. And when they do, you choose to be intentional by taking captive every thought and bringing it into obedience to Christ. There's a cost to do that. But my point is simply this. Worship is sacrificial. And it should cost us our all. Our absolute all. So the question is, well, how can we worship God acceptably? Hebrews 12 verse 28. How? Thankfully. Reverently. Respectfully. Meaningfully. Thoughtfully. And then sacrificially. And I believe we're on a road to pleasing and honoring God in our worship. We're not just singing songs because that's what we do on a Sunday morning. We're not just listening to a preach because that's what happens. We're not just having coffee because it's the done thing. Or maybe we shoot out the door as the service ends because I've always done it that way. No, maybe God's challenging you this morning, maybe challenging me. Let's break out of our comfort zones. Let's begin to see what worship can be in God's eyes. And then let's engage with it and give our best to it. I'm going to invite the worship team up, please. We're going to sing a song. But I'm hoping it's more than just singing a song. I'm asking that you do business with God. And you'll see the song that I've asked them to do is Matt Redmond's The Heart of Worship. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, all, it's the heart of the matter. That is the matter of the heart. <laughs> God always looks at the heart. And it's actually more about him than anything else. And so, Father, I ask that even now as we sing this song and as we go out to have the baptisms, Lord, I ask that you would address some things in each of our hearts, maybe areas that we've neglected, areas that we've fobbed off, areas as we thought were not important. But maybe this morning is that you've put your finger on an area in our life that you would want us to make some adjustments to. Because at the end of the day, Lord, we want to be those who worship you acceptably in a way that pleases you, a way that honors you. Yes, with, with thanksgiving. Yes, with reverence. Yes, with awe and respect. But at the end of the day, Lord, our worship is for you. And oh, we want it to mean something to you even before it means something to us.